0: Good morning, everybody. This morning we'll be in 1 Kings chapter 19, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. 1 Kings 19. It's nice that our president has called for National Day of Prayer, so I think we better take him up on it. And, and So let's pray before we get started. Lord, we thank you that we have a leader that um, chooses that and knows that that's important. And... Um, we know it's important and we would have done it anyway, but as a nation, Lord, we do lift up our, our country to you and we pray, Lord, for its health and for its safety, for its peace of mind and uh, we know that that all comes from you and uh, I pray that many people that don't know you would come to know you, that they would trust in you as there are far worse things in Revelation that are on their way and uh, it's good to be prepared eternally. And so, Lord, despite the physical things that are going on, and and we do pray for those as well, um, we pray for the spiritual needs of our nation. Pray that people would turn back to you, uh, trust in you, rely on your word, find that peace and rest that surpasses understanding in you, Lord. Um, So, Lord Jesus, we pray, we know a lot of people are praying and they may not be praying to you this morning, and uh, those are the folks we're talking about also We pray to you, Jesus, and we thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Elijah flees to a cave in fear this morning. Interesting. He had such a successful chapter last week as he's on top of Mount Carmel And uh, God had called him to that, he's called him to his ministry, and Elijah has trusted in him, and God says, I want you to have a showdown with the rest of the prophets of Baal and Asherah. And so they do on Mount Carmel, and obviously if you read uh, last week's text or listened to the message, you realize that God wins. Of course, he always does, doesn't he? There was no one in the competition. He stood in the ring alone, and uh, they needed to see that. There is no competitor in the other corner when it comes to God in a boxing match. It's just him. There is no contender. And so, as he stands there victorious, and all the other prophets that were worshiping this invisible God, this God that doesn't exist, um, were taken out because they were leading the rest of the nation of Israel astray, Elijah stood alone with his Lord with a quiet prayer, not a loud prayer. Not a boisterous one, wasn't jumping around like the other prophets of the other gods. But he stood there quietly, called the nation of Israel near so that they could even hear his prayer, and he prayed and God answered it in spectacular form, with fire coming down from heaven, devouring the sacrifice, the rocks, the dust, all the water they had poured on it. And everybody knew and declared it that God is God. There is one true and living God, and we just saw him today. Unfortunately, evidence has never led anybody to the Lord. I don't know if you know that or not. Evidence of God has never led anybody to the Lord. People come to the Lord in faith, not by the evidence. In fact, people reject God despite the evidence for him. It's clearly all around us. His invisible attributes are clearly seen and understood by those he created. It's it's in the scriptures. So everybody knows there's a God. So the evidence isn't the issue. They come to God. They come to the Lord. We trust in Jesus because of faith. We believe him. That's the difference. So so what if there's a God? I don't believe him. So as Elijah moves into chapter 19, unfortunately, and this is the way it is with men of God and women of God. Is they've got good days and they've got bad days. It doesn't make them any less anointed. It doesn't mean that they're failures. They have failings, but Elijah doesn't do well today. And yet we still call our kids Elijah. We still name them after this guy, but only because eighteen, not necessarily nineteen. You know. And we need to keep that in mind when it comes to ourselves. I had a conversation with a brother recently. He said, you know, you got to have. Got to give yourself just as much grace as God gives you. Give yourself time to change. Give yourself, uh, you know, don't don't do that daily examination that we can do sometimes. You know, of our own spiritual walk with the Lord. It's like I'm not growing. I'm not growing. Check it every year, maybe, or maybe every six months. Maybe you don't want to wait that long. And are you moving forward? Are you better than you were a year ago or six months ago? It's a better. waypoint. Get some distance there. And so I want to give Elijah grace. I don't know what I would be like in this situation. I trust the Lord. He trusts the Lord. He just had a successful thing. It says in verse 1 of chapter 19, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. So he's famous for this event. Also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel, that's the wife of the king Ahab, sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods, plural, she's still on board with these invisible people, straw men, may the gods do so to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. I'm coming for you, Elijah. She sends a messenger to him. I mean, that's ominous. It's not bad enough that I'm going to come kill you. I just want you to know I'm going to come kill you, you know. Now maybe she doesn't know where he is. Maybe she's trying to get him to, to move from his position so that they can see where he is, they can track him, or who knows what her reasoning behind this was. But she wants the runner to know. The the Obviously the message is public. He receives it. But he wants, she's trying to do damage control in my mind for all the, Death of the prophet. That was her power base. When, when you control the church and you control the prophets of the church because they're on your payroll, remember they all sat at her table and they're all dead now, you've lost a huge advantage. And so she's trying to regain that advantage. She likes being Jezebel, king of Ahab, or, you know, well, she is king of Ahab, but we won't talk about that. Um, <laughs> she likes her position. And now all of her leverage is gone. All the prophets are dead. So she wants everybody to know, I'm not afraid of this guy. I'm still alive. I'm going after him. And when he saw that, this note, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. So He's got a sidekick too. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life for I'm no better than my father's. We've heard that before from other men of God, haven't we? Different folks. And maybe you haven't, maybe you're new to the Bible, maybe this isn't something, but it's kind of common to go through a dark time after a spiritual victory. And so keep that in mind as you have a tremendous spiritual victory. I don't want you to wander around, and I'm not encouraging you to sit around going, oh, if the other shoe doesn't drop. It doesn't always have to be a dark time, but it can be. There can be a time where you've spent all of your energy in this one magnificent moment on top of the mountain and had a tremendous victory for God, and all of a sudden you've got to walk back down the mountain, That's it's a little iffy. This guy feels all alone. I want to die. Now, the message was, I'm going to kill you, and his prayer is, I'm going to die. That's not a rational prayer, obviously. Otherwise, just sit still. Why are you running for your life? I'm running for my life so that I can die over here instead of over there. You know? Now, maybe he thought it was better to die at the hands of God than the hands of Jezebel. I get that, sure. But there's something else going on here. God is giving us a peek, a view into his heart He's tired. It was draining. It's a rough place to be, you know. Oftentimes, when Jesus would have a full, long time of ministry, he would get alone, seek the Lord, spend an all night in prayer after an all day with ministry because he needed to be refreshed. And the angels would minister to him, you know, build him up and encourage him. Not spiritually, not like he needed encouragement. Come on, Jesus, you can keep doing it. But they ministered to him, it says. The angels are ministering angels to him. And that's what this guy needs. That's all he needs. He needs a touch from the Lord. He needs to get alone with God. He needs to have some perspective from the Lord. So far, and that's a big deal. That is a traumatic experience. Even though you were the one holding the sword, killing all 400 prophets and so on, four fifty. 50, that's a pretty vivid picture to have in your mind after a day of doing that. None of us would know what that's like. None of us know what it would be like to do it to one person, let alone a stream of people. You know, And he witnessed all of that, and he was a part of all of that. And so there's a lot going on here behind the scenes in him. So his prayer is, please take my life. There's a couple of scriptures. Moses, this the meekest man in all the world, says this in Ch- Numbers 11, verse 14, I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. That's Moses. I mean, he did the 10 plagues thing. He's got a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke in front of him. We would, most of us in this room, would beg for that kind of guidance from God, wouldn't we? Please, pillar of fire would be great don't make me search your scriptures, don't make me spend time in prayer, don't make me wait for someone to speak something that's just really unusual, but I know it's from God, it just kind of jumped off the page. Pillar of fire and smoke would be just fine. But this is his response. I can't carry all these people. Well, you haven't been, Moses. It may feel like it, because you're in front, and you're feeling the pressure of them on your back as you're walking with your staff, saying, you know, I saw a funny Far side cartoon, I think. And and it shows a long line of people, that's supposed to be the children of Israel in the wilderness, and they're going like this through the wilderness. And they're all making fun of Moses as he's trying to figure out his path through here. And the whole crowd behind him saying, Course correction, course correction. And that's what he's hearing in the back, because they're all watching him saying, Why are we, why are we going? Oh, that's the wrong way, Moses. I just fall on the fire, man. You almost want to tune it out completely. You can see him. And so his response is, would you just kill me if this is how it's going to be? I'd rather not have this burden from you, God. When we ask for ministry, God, please give me a ministry. Give me, I want to serve you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. It, It isn't uncommon for the next sentence to be, I'd rather not have this anymore. You can take it from me now. God prepares us for this. He'll equip us for it. He'll fill us with his spirits. We have his strength and his gifts and giftings to do this ministry he's called us to do. He promises all of that. All he needs is a willing vessel. That's where we're struggling here is the willing part. Moses doesn't have to do anything but take the next step tomorrow and ignore all the naysayers behind him. And yet, I'd rather die. Job Why didn't I die in the womb? He says in Job chapter three, verse eleven. Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? In other words, the loss was so great to him, and boy, we can all identify with his loss. All his kids left his wife. That's another issue. She was not a real supporter, a good supporter, but maybe she was. He just didn't want to hear it from her. Who knows? He says, you know what? I would rather not had all that gain to lose. If I was going to go through this, what was the point of even being born? I'd just rather die. So he's another person. This person of patience. Finally, Jonah, as he gets ministering, <laughs> a reluctant minister to say the least, is thrown up on the, on the shores by a fish and walks through the town of Nineveh and declares uh, judgment in 40 days. That's all he had to say. That was his ministry, judgment in 40 days as a prophet of God back then. He gets out of there and he gets on top of the hill and he's watching it to see fire and brimstone come out of the fire, out of the sky. We're assuming that's what he's hoping for and wanting, God's judgment and wrath, but they repented and he was upset and it was getting hot and scorched and so God made a plant for him and then also God made a worm that would eat that plant and this is the response after the worm eats the plant, but at the dawn, The next day, God provided a worm. God provides a lot of things for us, which which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun arose, God provided a scorching east wind. More provision from the Lord. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Wow. Those are, these are the men of, I mean, these are, books are written about these guys, you know? So when we see Elijah going through this saying, just take my life. I'm no better than my father's. I'd rather not be in this position anymore. That gives us some perspective. There by the grace of God go I, you know? Verse 5, then he lay and slept under the broom tree. Isn't that funny? Uh, not funny. That's probably the wrong word. Interesting to me. It's a very basic thing, but it's very interesting what a good night's rest will do. That's why they say, to, "Get it, why don't you sleep on it? What they mean is, you are tired. You've been through the mental ringer. I do that a lot in my second job. Hey, that's why we give you 24 to 48 hours with this contract. Just sleep on it. Because right now, you've been all day long, I don't know what you should do. Should we do this? Should we do this? You're lining up all your parameters for the contract for the real estate purchase. I <laughs> didn't. There it is. You know. All right, I'll go to sleep. Because tomorrow there may be some more decisions, but you're not in that frame of mind right now to really deal with it. You need to rest and have a fresh head. It's amazing. It seems like a small thing. But it's so important. He takes, falls asleep under the tree, and suddenly an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals in a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. That lazy bum, you know. This dude, he is tired. It was hard enough to sleep, but I got a little bit of rest. So here's some angel food cake. That's the standard Calvary Chapel joke. I have to. Say. I'm obligated to say that's right here. <laughs> he eats and drinks, and he lays down again. Just a little more rest. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and he says, "Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you." So he arose and ate and drank. So there's more food. And he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, that's a 10-day trip from where he is to where he's going. But it took him 40 days, so there's obviously something important there to see. I don't know if he was dragging his feet, although it should have been 10. He decided to make it 40. It's a long time. Or it's symbolic. symbolic of the nation of Israel wandering for 40 days or it's symbolic for many, many reasons as the number 40 comes up throughout scripture. Either way, I don't want to get to the forest yet. I'd like to stay in the trees here and look at them and see this man for who he is. He takes him to this Mount Horab because that's the place that he wants to speak to him. But notice the angels have been ministering to him. God sees that he's tired. God understands that he's weak gives him some rest, gives him some food, takes him to the mountain of God. This is the same mountain that Moses probably would have been on in Exodus 33, 22. Does anybody remember that story of the cleft of the rock? And God shows himself to Moses, but only his backside, right? Hides him there, covers, walks across and so on. And there he went into a cave, could be cleft, And spent the night in that place, but it doesn't have to be, it can be another cave. I'm not trying to make more of it than it is. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now God doesn't need answers, right? God doesn't not know. It's the same thing he said to Adam and Eve, where are you? It's the same thing he says to many other people in the Bible, why are you doing what you're doing? This is for us. This is for us to ask ourselves those questions. What am I doing here? Why am I hiding from God? Why do I have itchy fig leaves on my private parts? Because you ate the fruit. Because you're scared of a woman, Jezebel. Whatever it may be. And I need to ask myself that same question. Why are you in this dark place? Why are you feeling like you need to die? Why are you so faithless right now? I don't know. Well, then ask yourself that question, God says. So he says... Here's his answer to God. I have been very zealous. So this is what's been going on in his head. He gets it out of his mouth. I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. So of course I want you to kill me. Doesn't make any sense, does it? If you're the only witness of God on this planet, and you're still being used by God, and you're still alive, you should want to stay alive to continue to be that witness. What he's feeling is alone. I feel isolated. I feel alone. I'm tired of being the only one. The nation of Israel has forsaken you. I don't see any fruit in the ministry. He says, all of Israel has forsaken you. Israel, all of them. Your covenant, they've torn down your altars. Have you not? That's his idea. Are you not seeing this? And I'm alone left here. And I'm tired of it. This is... Very similar to what Jeremiah would have gone through. That guy ministered his whole life and never had a congregant. Nobody was listening to him. He had zero people. The only person listening to his messages were him. His purpose was to make sure that it was testified. That's it. No converts, but just testified of the Lord. I don't want that kind of ministry. I don't do this so that I can preach to empty chairs every Sunday, you know? I don't want that. I don't think I have that kind of strength. I think God knows that. You do what you do. You talk to people about Jesus because you want to lead them to the Lord. You want to see some baptisms. You want to see some people confess their sin. You want to see lives changed and transformed. And that is how Elijah's feeling. I am all by myself here. So then he said to him, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. Now, That's not the only time God says stand up to someone who's down. There's different ways to minister to different people, and I'm not the Holy Spirit, so I need to pay attention to the Holy Spirit when God calls me to someone in this situation. How do I minister to this person in this dark place right now? And I'm not going to say the word depression because that has a clinical uh, connotation to it. These guys are just, maybe, I don't think they're chronically depressed. I think they're having a dark time. We all do. Everybody goes through dark times, and they come back up again, and we go back down again. That is normal. That's not bipolar. There is that, I'm sure, but that's not, if there's sad times. I shouldn't point up. There's sad times, and there's happy times. We, everybody has life. Hey, a baby's born, you know? Yeah, that's one of those great moments. <sighs> Whatever that is. I don't want to pick on it. That's a bad time. But God steps into this man of God who's called by God, who has a ministry by God, who's not done with his ministry. God hasn't replaced him yet. He tells him, I want you to stand up. Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. He said the same thing to Job at the end, chapter 40, verses 7 through 9. Stand up like a man and brace yourself for battle. Let me ask you a question and give me the answer. Are you going to discredit my justice and condemn me so that you can say that you are right? Are you as strong as God? And can you shout as loudly as he? Interesting translation. I like this translation. I get that. Some of the translations are great when it talks about this, but this is the one that talks, I don't know. It just spoke to me the way this one was worded. It's the same thing. I checked to make sure we weren't getting weird or anything like that, but it's a good one. I want you to stand up, Job. Job, who lost his entire family, boils, sickness, the whole thing, wonderful three friends that were so encouraging to him all the way through. He tells him, okay, everybody else is quiet. You, Job, stand up before the Lord. See, this wasn't all about showing everybody that Job wasn't going to deny him. That's kind of what we think a lot of times. It was also about Job. Job needed to go a little bit closer to God, Job was a a little soft. You know, He says, are you going to answer me? I want you to give me an answer. It's interesting. He tells other guys to stand up too. Why are you laying down? Why are you depressed? Because, because. Stand up. Now, God can do that. I don't get to do that. I don't get to walk into those situations and say, get off your bed. Quit being a baby. That's not great pastoring, really. But God does it Sometimes. And I need to be ready for that. Why are you moping? Why are you sulking? What is the problem? Is your ministry not enough or am I not doing enough for you? You know, what is it that you're so depressed about? I don't know. Nine times out of ten, we get down about ministry or the way things are going spiritually in our lives because we had expectations, That word has come up so much in the last five years of my life. Expectations, expectations. Not just with our ministry, but with anything. My expectations are my expectations. God's never given me these. These are all things that I've come up with. I've jumped ahead. I've come to conclusions. Well, if I'm going to do this, and certainly this is going to take place. and Those are expectations. God never promised that. Hey, Jeremiah, I want you to preach my word. Oh, this is going to be good. No, you know, God almost wants, I, I wish you would have stopped him. Ho, 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 before you come back here, I want you to preach my word, but I want to fill this in. Nobody's going to listen to you, by the way. Okay, now you can go. Get rid of those expectations. My obedience to God is not based off of what kind of fruit I'm going to have or what's going to happen at the end of it. My obedience to God is because God has asked me to do something. God's asked me to testify of him. God's asked me to share his word with people. They don't have to receive it and, and may not. Elijah had expectations. I thought that mountaintop was going to be it. Jezebel and Ahab were brought low. I thought they were going to come on their knees and receive. All the prophets are dead. I mean, now this was revival. This is when it was all going to happen. No, there's phase two. There's another step to this. Well, no, that would have been a great time. He had expectations that that mountaintop was it. He was never going to come down from that. And they were going to start building the the things for the living God now. And they were going to start tearing down all the, and Jezebel, and it was all, he had expectations. God says, come out and stand before me. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the whirlwind, or was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And so it was when Elijah heard it. God was in the still small voice. We love the spectacular, you know. And a lot of people like to boast of how God speaks to them in a spectacular way. But honestly, given this scripture right here, if God has to speak to us in a way like this, that's probably because we're too deaf to hear the still small voice. We need to listen for that. In Psalm 32, 8, the psalmist writes, in God's speaking, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. You know, Throughout scripture, they say they sought the Lord's face. They sought his face. They sought his face. And we kind of understand what that means. But with this scripture in mind, now we know why. They looked at the Lord's face to see his eyes. I want to see your eyes. Where are you looking? What are you interested in? How do you see me? I want to know your eyes. I want to see you, you know, and see what you're seeing. And God says, that's good. Seek my face. You can't be guided by God's eye unless you're looking at his face. Can't be. When you got your eyes on other people and how they're not doing what you think they should be doing, or whatever it may be, you're not being guided by God. You can't be. You're being guided by them and your expectations on these people all around you. They aren't meeting your expectations. I thought they'd do this and that by now. Why can't they see how important this is? Whatever it may be. We need to look at God, seek his face, and keep our eyes fixed there, and let him guide us with his eye. John 16, 13. Jesus said, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. God wants to guide us. God wants to guide Elijah here, but he's got to get a hold of him. You were looking for the spectacular on top of the mountain, but it's my still small voice. I don't know how many times we shared the scripture since the radio station opened in Mick and Carolyn were there running it at the time. And not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit. Two, three separate things. And the only one that's going to be working is the spirit. I'm going to guide you with my eye. So it was, verse 13, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing, Elijah? (coughs) Excuse me. It's not 19. It's like 18 or 17. It's not 19. I've never wanted to cough more often than right now. You know what I mean? Not on purpose, but it's like all of a sudden we start talking about it. I'm like, (coughs) everybody's going... You know, looking at you. I I, I didn't have to cough until I mentioned that word. I'm sorry. Funny. I'll, I'll elbow bump you today. I won't shake your hand. How's that? Anyway. What are you doing here, Elijah? In other words, he had been sitting in the cave the whole time. I want you to come out and stand before me, and he didn't. And it wasn't until he heard the still small voice that he finally comes out and stands with his mantle around his face. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been, it's like, you know, deja vu. I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Haziel or Hazael as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu the son of Nimshi as king over Israel. In other words, these you're going to anoint the replacement for Jezebel and Ahab. This is part two. This is the next step. We weren't done on Mount Carmel. They're not going to repent. We're doing something different here. That's a tough thing. I thought they were going to repent. Mm-mm. No, they're going to die. And we're going to find a replacement for the nation of Israel. And Elisha, the son, Elijah, yeah, and Elisha, that's the next step. So I want you to do this king in Syria, which is interesting. God has authority over all kings. This king in Israel. And Elisha, the son of um, Shaphat, of Abel, Mehaloah, um, Mahola. Yeah, You Mahola. Know. You shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. You're not alone. There's 7,000 people out there that were listening to you, Elijah. 7,000 people that were encouraged when you'd show up in town. Not everybody hated you. Not everybody wanted you to Not everybody enjoyed Baal worship and Asher worship. Not everybody was at those altars. Not everybody participated. Your ministry has fruit. There are people, but it is so hard to see the 7,000 louder than the one. That mouthy woman. And I don't mean to say all women are mouthy. It could have been a mouthy man. Ahab was no better. But this is the focus of the story today is this woman... Jezebel, who's just a loud, obnoxious, belligerent, unconverted critic. And that's the one he listens to. God says, you know, you do have 7,000 people out there that haven't bowed the knee. You have a pretty big congregation. Now they're hidden because they don't want to die, but they're there. You got to trust me in that. And besides that, let's go get back to business. I mean, that's the ministry here, isn't it? The best therapy for this guy is to get out of the cave and go start doing what you do as a prophet. You know, my pastor um, always told me, do not take Mondays off. That's your temptation. When do, as a pastor, you gotta kind of got to figure that out because Sundays are not days off for us, you know. So you got to kind of figure out what day am I going to take off? He says, don't take Mondays off. He says, get right back at it on Monday. Take Tuesdays off. Because if you take Mondays off, you may not show up on Tuesday. Because there is that moment. Spurgeon called it the dark night of the soul. You've spent, you've given out, you've talked and talked and talked, smiled and smiled and smiled, cried and cried and cried, gave out God's word. You are down, low, spent. Spiritually, you want to go to a cave someplace, you know. Not depressed, but it can come. Those things can happen. The best thing to do is show up on Monday morning you know, and get right back at it. And so God sees that therapy for him too. He says, you know what? I got some things for you to do. I got three people you need to anoint. That's the fun thing. You like to anoint people, don't you? Go to this king and tell him he's going to be king. Then go to Jehu, tell him he's going to be king. Um, And then I want you to get a, a protege. Get yourself an underling, Elisha. He's going to be your new sidekick because you left your other guy behind, but he's going to replace you. I'm going to find you your replacement. And so they're going to travel together for a while. He's going to learn from the ministry. It's an interesting thing. Best thing you can do is give out right now. Pour out what you've learned by walking with me into some young guy here who I'm calling into the ministry. Pour out some more. All right, he said. I want you to avoid and I, these two words. You ever try to say something to somebody and you have like, oh, I got like a, I've got a paragraph and I, I could really, I really need to make it more concise. I just can't find the words to do it. This is beautiful. Two words: excessive introspection. Excessive introspection. Does anybody here fall into that category? Thinking and thinking and thinking and running the scenarios through your mind and going over excessive introspection. I thought, oh, that's, I love it when someone can encapsulate all that I'm thinking into such a tiny little package. I like that. So Elijah's guilty of excessive introspection and boy, sitting in the cave by yourself is not going to help. So I want you to get out And I want you to minister, and I want you to serve, and I want you to remember there's 7,000 that are excited you're still walking around and aren't dead. They're watching you. So he departed, verse 19, from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12th. So probably, you know, six sets maybe. Of oxen, so he's got a big operation, big farming operation. You know, this is the guy with six combines, you know, or whatever maybe. I don't know. But there he was doing his thing. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. It's a little unceremony, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Throws it It, because it literally says, and he left his oxen and ran after Elijah. So I'm not making this up. He literally walked by the guy and says, "Here's a mantle." And just kept going. And this guy's going, what? That's Elijah. Processing. I've got this mantle. Is that the call of God? What's going on? Hey, wait up. i got some questions. That's how excited about this anointing he is. But he's doing it. And I appreciate that. I give him a hard time because he didn't say, Elisha, God has sent me to you. Sit down, my son, and we shall have meals together and bake cold cakes. And you know, how you kind of think. A little more pomp and circumstance to this whole thing he walks by him and tosses his coat on him and keeps on walking but he's doing it he did what god asked him to do now it wasn't the greatest and i'm sure god was like really elijah okay so he goes and runs after him he says please he's processed it all let me kiss my father and my mother and then i will follow you i gotta say goodbye to the gang you know or whatever now some say that this means they wanted to wait till his father was dead and buried him and all that, and they do a lot more into that. Maybe. Doesn't really matter. It could have been as simple as, I need to go tell my folks I'm not coming back tomorrow to work. You know, I need to give my two-week notice here. And he said to him, here's what Elijah says, and this is very important, go back again for what have I done to you? In other words, this calling isn't for me. This is between you and God. I just gave you the mantle because he told me to. I'm going on with what? I got two more guys I got to anoint today. You know? That's a really important section here. Men don't anoint men. Men don't ordain men. Men don't call other men into ministry. That's not how it's done. God calls men into ministry. And so if you don't feel like you're where you're supposed to be in the ministry, that's not a man's fault. That's between you and God. Has nothing to do with people. Believe me, if people are in the way, God just moves people out of the way from what he wants to do. And this is very important to understand. I've counted you faithful, the Lord says, and put you in the ministry. That's God's encouragement. And that's what you always want to rely on. God put me in the ministry. Men didn't put me in the ministry. If men put me in the ministry, I'm in trouble. I need to be very careful about what I do. Every day is iffy. If God puts you in the ministry, even when you have cave days, God calls you out, ministers to you, bakes cakes for you. I mean, we're talking bed and breakfast moments here with angels saying, okay, here's some cake. You know, the whole thing's going on here. Encouragement is coming from the Lord. And then he gives him more ministry to do after this cave day. Men, what do you mean you're not getting out of bed today? You're fired. Men are fickle. People are fickle. They have expectations. Expectations. God knows that we're but dust. He knows we're clay. He knows the very fact that he even got Elijah to do it this far as, hey, that's great. I didn't think you're going to make it through. After 300 prophets, I thought you were going to walk away from this, but you finished all 150 extra afterwards, you know. That's encouraging. He says, look, I'm not anointing you today, he says to Elisha. This is from the Lord. Go back, come with me makes no difference to me. It's not mine to say. It's between you and the Lord. It's good to know. So Elisha, learning already, turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people. And they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. As soon as he heard that, all i needed to know takes his oxen you guys are just going to be a sacrifice today the wood that's attached to you and the cart and all this stuff that's all going to be part of the fire fed the gang that was with him the other guy's driving the other oxen or whatever and he goes and becomes a servant it is a beautiful story beautiful story of encouragement and building people up he's in a dark time god sees that knows that doesn't throw them out comes alongside of him and ministers to him, brings him through a wonderful session here to the place where he can now minister and continue to minister. It's beautiful. If we let God do that, he'll do that for us. And that's where we close today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you were gracious and merciful in the Old Testament, as gracious and merciful as you are in the New Testament. You're the same God. Yesterday, today, and forever. And we count on that. Lord, thank you for your encouragement to us this morning as we might feel down, depressed, or want to hide in a cave. But God, you're there for us. You minister to us. And if there's no provision, you provide. So much so that you had an angel come bake this cake for him. That's amazing. Lord, help us to trust in you, to rely on you, to continue to minister the way you want us to minister. And when we have these cave days, Lord, help us to listen to you as you bring us out of them, Lord. I thank you for Elijah. I thank you that he was a man of like passion. And uh, that's encouraging to me that if you're gracious with him and merciful with him, you'll certainly be that with us. Lord bless these folks as they go today. In Jesus' name, amen.